Welcome to another episode of This Week in Health Tech, where you find all your latest news and trends in the health tech industry. My name is Jimmy Kim, and of course, I'm accompanied by my co-host, Vic Patel. Jimmy's on. What's going on, Happy Friday, man. Happy Friday. Happy Friday, man. It's uh, a beautiful day on this Friday. Uh, I mean, what what more can you really ask for? I... So I'm really excited. By the way, I have to tell you. So I just did a quick workout before our recording, just so that I'm full of your, energy. Your, and... your, fir- your first and your first workout uh, in the last three four months. No, what are you talking about? Maybe no. <laughs> I have been. You know, I, I miss working out with you first of all, and you know it doesn't. I had to switch, or or I'm not able to attend those sessions just because, you know how it is with kids. But I have been trying to be regular. You know, kind of switching it up. A uh, lot of Apple Fitness, biking, running, just kind of just just changing it up. I mean, of course, you know, you taught me a lot of good things, so that always helps. Um, but yeah, no, I, I'm I'm excited. So I, I'm just telling you, like, I'm full of energy. I'm excited to to, to talk to Laura today, and and you know, one thing as you were you were kind of talking talking about this. Uh, you know, talking about your your latest in, in 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 your fitness fitness journey. You know, anytime you you start something new, there is always that little bit of a higher chance of getting injured uh, because it's new and you get excited. And sometimes you go a little bit more overboard. But thank goodness that the accessibility of care is so much easier now than it was. You know, we'll say maybe a year and a half ago, as telehealth continues to continues to boom, continues to continues to grow and funny enough maybe in a in a few a few different ways as, as I'll, I'll share a little a little tidbit of information that uh, that i came across regarding telehealth and the the possibly the the, the future trend of of how that goes so we'd love to kind of get into that uh with our guest today so our guest today is dr laura purdy from md integrations and Vic, why don't you kind of break down what MD Integrations does and, and maybe a little bit more about what information that uh, Dr. Purdy would be sharing with us today? You know, I think based on what I have researched and I know about MD Integrations is that they they make it easy for telemedicine companies to get started. So they have all-in-one solution and it's pretty much a API-based asynchronous telemedicine platform, right? So very um, from a technology standpoint, I think startup companies who are planning on providing virtual care, they wouldn't have to worry about how exactly a telemedicine platform would work. But anyways, I think you know we'll we'll talk to Laura here shortly and 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 find out all the details. But I'm more excited about kind of learning more from her about you know telehealth in general in terms of you know where the technology is headed. Right. And and what are some of the challenges challenges that they are facing? But even how is it going to expand? I mean, it's 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 definitely being used a lot. And and I think it's going to continue, even though things are opening back up. Right. Like the brick and mortar thing, you know, people are going back to clinics, going back to the hospitals, obviously. I mean, you always have to go to the hospital, but (laughs) You know, virtual care was was being used a lot, and it's still being used a lot. But I think it's I think it's here to stay, right? It it is for the longer. And so I'm really interested in in talking to her in terms of you know where where this industry is headed. All right. So if you're ready, if I'm ready, let's go and chat with Dr. Purdy. Let's do this. All right. Hey everyone, before we get to our guest today. 
I want to make mention that today's episode is brought to you by Tito Inc. Tito Inc. is a trusted tech partner for healthcare organizations. For more information on how you can partner with Tito Inc., please visit titoinc.com. That's T-I-D-O-I-N-C.com. Now, to our guest, here is Dr. Laura Purdy. Thank you for having me. Happy Friday. Happy Friday, indeed. Um, and before we get into it, actually, I, I had a question. You know, it's, um, you know, kind of researching you and researching what, what you do at MD Integrations, I found it very interesting that you 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 got basically started in the, in the Army. And what I found most interesting about it was that uh, you got into tele, a telehealth and a, sub, a subject that we're going to be talking about quite a bit in the army. So could you tell us a little bit about that experience? Because for us on our end, you know, we we were a few years ago, just I mean, a year and a half ago, we were just kind of thinking, I wonder when telehealth will start to start to make its mark. But it sounds like it's something that you have been using in your practice and for you to wait to treat your treat your patients for quite some time. Yes. So these days, the term that I use is I was doing telehealth before it was cool, right? Because now everybody's doing it. But I, you, you're right. I was. I just got out of almost 15 years in the army in May of this year, actually. So, wow, a veteran. Yeah. And uh, so I, I when I knew that I wanted to go into medicine, this was in the early 2000s. And the war was still really young. And I don't know if you can remember back to those days, but we'd get a lot of flyers in our mailboxes about serving in the different armed forces. And as you're going to college, there's a lot of recruitment messaging that goes out. And so out of that, I actually ended up going into, there is a military medical school. There's a dedicated medical school for all branches of service, which is located in Bethesda, Maryland, so Washington, D.C., And so I went there from 2007 to 2011, was active duty the whole time. Then I did my residency at Fort Benning, which is where a lot of the army basic training and a couple of other like ranger school and airborne school and that kind of stuff is there. So I usually, I will say lots of opportunities to need healthcare, (laughs) you know, and um, yeah. And then I was, I finished out my tour. So my seven years of obligation after residency and and just got out. But one of the jobs that I had was as a hospitalist, which is a term that you're probably familiar with, but yeah, just in case anybody's listening, who is not sure what a hospitalist is, it's, it's kind of like the, the PCP or the primary care manager of in the hospital, right? So it's the general doctor, usually internal medicine or family medicine that manages all your care and kind of oversees specialists and, but it's a shift work job. And usually it's customary to only work about half of the month because it's long shifts. And so in the army, it's pretty hard to moonlight, meaning like do extra work at other facilities. If you're working for a government facility, as you <laughs> might imagine, <Yes>. so, <laughs> telehealth, it, it was a, it was kind of a natural way to be able to moonlight on those two weeks a month off without dedicating shift work to other hospitals or urgent cares. Wow. And well, first of all, happy Veterans Day. And, you know, today being November 12th. So yesterday was was the Veterans Day and Remembrance Day in in, in lots of other parts of the world. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for your service. This is really good background. And so you're saying moonlighting on the two weeks off, you learned a lot about telehealth and it's like, Hey, 
this is not cool today, but it could like you saw the opportunity, you know, and it, of course, it, it's become really big in the last year and a half because of the pandemic. So when was it that you realized that, hey, this thing in future could be the way that healthcare could go? Really quickly. I mean, within the first couple of months, if you think about certain things like, for example, uh, poison ivy or pink eye or um, even just minor things, like if you fall and scrape your knee, but you don't know if you need an antibiotic or you don't know if you need to have stitches when I started handling visits like that virtually and realizing that the patients normally would be taking time out of their day or their night, throwing their kids in the car, going to the emergency room or an urgent care for hours, right? Eight, eight, nine, 10 hours sometimes. And realizing that we could knock that out in 10 or 15 minutes yeah. from, the, from their home and me from my home. And it, it was really a no brainer. Honestly, it was kind of like, why, why are we doing some of this <laughs> in, per, in person? I, I started to feel bad actually to, to feel bad for my patients that they were having to come and see me in the clinic for things that I knew we could handle through virtual visits. I mean, nowadays there's a lot of technology and, 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 you know, we'll jump into the technologies that you guys have and, you know, I mean, we work with hospitals for integration and digital services. So th th there's so many telehealth products out there and technologies out there. But like before this was mainstream, how did you do it? Was it just getting on a WebEx call, which, you know, <laughs> nowadays it's more Zoom. But so what, what was it before this whole, um, you know, mainstream technology came around? Sure. In the, in the old days, in the old <laughs> days of telehealth, or sometimes those of us who've been around for a minute, will say the wild, wild west days of, of telehealth. It was a lot of hard work because technology was the limiting factor. It was almost always video call. If you could get it to work on both sides, right? Because video calls are contingent upon my system works and the patients in a place that has good internet and some sort of camera and can figure out how to work it or a phone call. And sometimes there was no scheduling. So it was just on demand. Like I'm calling a patient and hoping they answer and hoping that I'm calling at a good time. <laughs> and so it was, it was, it was really interesting. I think connections were a problem. Connectivity was a problem. And I, I think um, it was a real struggle to actually make that visit happen in those earlier days. We've, come a long way since then. Come a long way. Telehealth at the time, I, I, right now, there's the, it's segmented, right? There's the synchronous portion and then the asynchronous portion. Did you use any of the asynchronous portions? Did you maybe, like, the technology, the limiting factor, but we've, we've all have access to emails, maybe even at that time, smartphones where you can take photos of things like that. At that early onset, was, was that portion available to you? And is that something, a tool that you used? Early on, no, it wasn't. And in fact, I was a part of several pilot studies and beta tests at some of the first companies that I worked at that realized that asynchronous was a possibility, but couldn't figure out or didn't have the right technology to be able to solve that problem. Asynchronous telehealth, which means it's not a real-time like you and I are synchronously communicating right now 
as opposed to a chat or an email where it's not real-time dialogue, you have to have, or a company has to have the right tool for the job to enable that. And some of the early systems and early companies just didn't have the capability. And so trying to take a system that was originally intended for synchronous and then morph that into an asynchronous technology, it was very challenging. And I think some of those first companies that I worked for, we never pulled it off while I was there at least. Wow. So for, I want to jump a little bit into MD integrations, which is, you know, you co-founded that company. So from what I understand, you know, researching a little bit about your company is that you guys make it easy for organizations to, to put in a telehealth service pretty much by, it's kind of like outsourcing telehealth to you guys. Is that the way it works? Or do you, would you mind kind of jumping into or explaining that a little bit more? Sure. So the genesis for MD integrations came from being a full-time telehealth provider, working for all kinds of different companies simultaneously, because telemedicine startup companies, especially direct to consumer are at various stages of their life cycle, right? And being a manager of telemedicine doctors, some of the biggest complaints that telemedicine doctors have is when they commit to working for a company, they're kind of at the mercy of how much patient flow and volume and consistency any given company is able to uh, create in its first few months of existence. Not to mention every company has its own tech, its own web portal, its own you know interface, its own ERX, its own um, entire technology that the doctor is at the mercy of, yeah. for lack of a better word. And so waking up in the morning and logging into 15 different tech systems, <laughs> and pro- but this is true. I mean, this it is- No, I'm laughing because it is you so know? true. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. And, but then also- seeing some of the same problems or challenges or obstacles getting repeated by companies over and over again. And just saying, I wish, I wish I could have been there to tell you that before you stepped on that landmine. Um, (laughs) So, um, so, so my co-founder and I are both telemedicine physicians and a lot of these startup companies have no doctors on their founding team at all. Wow. It's very common for telehealth startups to have a business person and a tech person or a finance person and a legal person, right? Or just an entrepreneur. And a lot of time they think that they can add the doctor in later. (laughs) And I see Jimmy shaking his head. That's just the way it happens. And so, but what happens if, if you leave out that physician advisor or a CMO level person or somebody with experience in the telehealth industry to advise them early on, there's just a lot of the same challenges and obstacles that tend to undermine their rapid success. Mm. So MD integrations at, at its core is just an API. It's an API with an electronic medical record that is designed for telehealth, designed for asynchronous telehealth actually, that, that we designed from scratch and also it's a doctor network. So, okay. Interesting. So it's not I, just, it's, oh, it, I was, Jimmy. No, I was, I was just, I was just going to say, I, I'm, I'm nodding my head here because it's, it, it's funny that startups start 
and they are trying to solve this problem, but they never really involve the people who are are really going to solve that problem. You know, so you, you it was just I was kind of just kind of chuckling in, inside, thinking like, yeah, you have the, you have these startups who who want to start up this tele telehealth program or telehealth software, but they have advised no doctors on it, and so you know you were talking about like the 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 pain points uh, that some of these some of these uh, places run into. Could you maybe discuss maybe one or two pain points that you noticed that um, uh, that you wanted to solve with MD integrations? Yes. So one of the pain points is just the electronic medical record. A lot of EMRs are, or a lot of telehealth EMRs are really trying to be an analog of a brick and mortar clinic EMR and they're apples to oranges. It doesn't work to try and take a brick and mortar EMR with a thousand widgets that made Vic, Vic happy. You're very happy. Yes. Finally people. <laughs> yes. Okay. They, you know, they have a million widgets that you're never going to use. And from a physician's perspective, and then trying to take that and use it for telehealth, it just, it doesn't work. At no, all. and it's not, it's not designed at the core. And, and, and I think this is where, you know, Jimmy and I have been talking about digital transformation and, we have been talking about digital transformation with our clients, with the, you know, health systems, where you, you, EHRs doesn't have all the tools and capabilities to kind of quickly transform and adapt with, you know, especially like you said, with APIs and fire integration, which makes it so much easier now to grab the data that's been collected by the EHRs. The EHRs do an amazing job, like you're saying, you know patients are in front of you, let's collect the information, we, we, you have the results, all the traditional stuff, that's great. But all the digital tools that are, that are going to come around, kind of like yours, it's, it's just so specialized that it'll take them time, maybe, you know, five, 10 years from now, but I don't think healthcare is going to wait for that. And, and the innovation is very fast. So how do you go about it? How do you use the integration to your advantage, you know, using the latest integration standards that are now available? So that's what I want to ask a, a little bit follow-up question there. So for MD integrations, uh, MD integration, for example, how does that work with the traditional EHRs? Or, or is that something you guys do today? Or is that something that you would like to do in future? Um, we don't at all. It, it doesn't even have that functionality. The the ideal, I'll say, user of MD integrations is really like a direct-to-consumer telehealth startup company. Okay, okay. It, 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 so you're saying it's not not for not for health systems groups. The, the where do you see that telehealth is going? Like you're you're saying that this is really kind of supporting the asynchronous. So is that something that uh, you you believe that that this is that this is the future of of telehealth? Do you think that more people are going to be using? more of the eight synchronous over the synchronous because I read an interesting stat that you know over the over the last year during during the year and a year and a bit or during the pandemic telehealth and the use of telehealth has literally skyrocketed but over the last few months over the last few months it's almost now kind of almost fallen off a cliff um, and the users there's not as many users using the synchronous portion of of telehealth so um, have you may seen any of those stats there or do you are you noticing some trends Kind of pointing over to the other way. No, I agree with you. I agree with you completely. And the reason why, and so you also asked, you know, where is the future of telehealth going? But synchronous visits are not ideal for the patient or the doctor. 
nobody really likes to do it if we're being honest, but we don't like to really do anything face-to-face. I mean, we prefer not to go shopping. We prefer to have our, you know, groceries delivered. Nobody goes to the bank anymore, really. I mean, we, you know, think about all of the activities of our life that now is done in some non-real-time, non-face-to-face, you know, I can ship a UPS package without going to the UPS store. You know, I can sit it on my porch and it's gone a few hours later. Right. So it's not, it's not that this is a atypical behavior. I think healthcare is finally just following along behind the behaviors of other industries, you know, in society. And, but the synchronous visit is undesirable in general for both patients and doctors. And I think the challenge is to, is kind of twofold. The challenge is to figure out how to do as much as we safely and responsibly can do synchronously. And then I think we can start looking at some of these, some of these other um, things that we've traditionally said, I think you need to go in person and see your doctor for that and see if there's a way that we can pull those things into telehealth by potentially offering those in a more synchronous capacity, right? Because how do we, how do we take a physical exam and translate that into telehealth? Because if I tell a patient, I need you to go be seen in person, what I'm really telling them is I need you to have a physical exam. Does that make sense? And so is there a way to do a physical exam responsibly, accurately, and safely through telehealth. And I think when the answer to that is yes, then we've found the role, like the future role, and maybe the long-term role for synchronous care. But technology plays a huge role in that. Hmm. I find it very interesting that that, that that's that you mentioned. I, I've never, I always kind of think like, I if I want to, uh, you know, if I want to get some medical care, I, I want that personal attention, right? Like I want, I want a, a doctor or a dentist to, to actually be able to see and touch and feel me, but then I'm thinking like, well, would I do I get that same response through, let's say, a synchronous like video chat visit? I've had a few over the last little bit, and I've, I've detailed it in, in the in the show before. Very mixed, very mixed like results. Um, had wrong, uh, in, sorry, incorrect, uh, incorrect diagnosis on there for my my children. And so I was like very like on the fence on the fence for 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 something like for something like this, um, but I I also do recognize that this is this is a service that we need and and when I read the stat that the synchronous visits are literally plummeting um, over 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 the last six months, I just also found that like a very very interesting thing because I wonder if other people were also experiencing that and as a part of me I was like maybe I'm just kind of I'm resistant to the change and I'm not ready for it but. It does. It doesn't look like I'm the only one. Can I can I jump in there before Laura, mm-hmm. you know, kind of replies to your question or your comments, Jimmy? I think one of the things I feel, and that's the beauty of it of this whole new digital transformation in healthcare is that it's customized experience, right? So some people will prefer the synchronized visits. You know, like I want the doctor right now live. And then others would be like, no, you know what? I'm going to send them a video message. This is what's going on. Or take a video of wherever the ailment is, you know, and take a photo, give them time. They'll reach back to me. It's fine. Right. And it also depends on what kind of stuff you're talking about. If that is something that you actually 
need to be on live at the same time, then it makes more sense. So in my opinion, I think, Jimmy, it's more, it, it just depends. And, and, and that's fine. Like it, it could be one, one, it, it could be both. Right. And, and, and the same person could actually utilize both synchronous and asynchronous. I, I don't know, Laura, what, what do you think? I agree with you completely. So actually, Jimmy, you've touched on a couple of things there. And one is quality, right? So quality of care and from like a telehealth company standpoint, implementing a quality program is absolutely 100% mandatory. It has to be done. And historically, quality of care programs with QA audits, standards, protocols, guidelines, curated screening forms, evidence-based treatment options, that is, has been lacking historically in most of the major telehealth entities in the country. It's actually, there's not a shared common sense. There's not a shared common knowledge. And pediatrics is actually one of the areas where it's probably best to do synchronous because a parent's impression of what is going on with a child I have four children and I'm a physician. And sometimes I can't think clearly when my kids are sick to be able to figure out what's going on with them. Does that make sense? So I do think, and the child can't always express for themselves what they're feeling. And so a lot of pediatrics, that is a good use case, unless it's dermatology, right? Because pediatric dermatology is not much different from adult dermatology. As far as you look at it, you diagnose it, you treat it. Um, and so a lot of pediatrics is best done synchronously, but if we, as the leaders and the managers of these physician networks, don't do a good job of educating our physicians, how to practice virtual medicine, cause it's not the same as practicing brick and mortar medicine. And also reviewing these quality audits, finding the misdiagnoses, teaching them and training them and mentoring them how to do a better job. Um, then, then we will fail and we won't have happy customers. But on the other hand, Jimmy, think about it this way. If you, uh, if you were a marathon runner who had asthma and you go out of town on a trip to run a marathon and the race starts in three hours and you just need your inhaler. Cause you got to take a couple puffs before you hit the racetrack. You may not have time. And you also may not even want to worry with waiting for a doctor to video or waiting for a doctor to call you, it might be better for you to submit an asynchronous request with a company that has a one hour SLA. And then you're at the pharmacy in 90 minutes, grabbing your inhaler before you need to go. So I think there's a use case for everything. I agree with it. That, yeah. That's a great example. And so while you were talking about the whole quality and this last example that you just mentioned about, you know, maybe this company provides this one specific service, like how, so one of the questions the whole time, I was like, why would there be so many new telehealth companies springing up when you have, you know, the giants like Teladoc and Livingo and others? Is that like, what, what, what's the basis of that? You're talking about like, like niche branded direct to consumer telehealth. Yeah, like it, it, when you have, like when, when there's so many big telehealth companies, you are still seeing specialized telehealth companies coming up with with different services. So 
like what's the underlying idea there is this because there's so many different kinds of health services there are you know that, that's always been brick and mortar and now need to be kind of converted to telehealth i'm just trying to understand why would we have so many different telehealth service or providers that's a great question i think there's a couple of reasons for that i think part of the answer to that question you could actually ask that in a in a brick and mortar sort of question like why if we have so many hospitals and primary care clinics do we still have things like cardiology clinics or GI clinics or insert specialty here clinics popping up all over the place? And it's because there are niche specialty um, avenues of telemedicine, just like there are brick and mortar medicine. And I think to an extent, uh, nobody can be everything to everyone all the time. And when it comes to things like, I'll give you an example. Um, when I first started in telehealth, I worked for one of those really big, huge, urgent care companies. They did not do any life, lifestyle was the term that was used medications at all. So if you wanted to be treated for things like erectile dysfunction, menopause, um, even testosterone replacement, behavioral health, we were not allowed to do any of that at all. Hair loss, eyelash enhancement, um, wrinkles pigmentation of the face, all these things, even fertility. I mean, there's so much that telehealth is doing now that was simply not allowed to be done at all. And so if somebody called in with ED, I would have to say, I'm so sorry, we're not authorized to treat that on this platform. You'll have to go follow up in person. And so I think that's kind of one answer, right? Specialties, it mimics what happens in the real world. The second is just capitalism, right? This is America. Everybody wants to create their brand. They think that, you know, each individual company has its own niche, its own brand, its own target market, its own demographic, its own little segment of the population that they discover or they believe or they find other companies aren't really marketing to. And then they really hone in on that one population and just knock it out of the park. And those companies are actually very successful. If you can find as an early emerging telehealth startup company, that one little segment that maybe hasn't been heavily focused on and just be the best option for that one demographic, they're going to be so successful. Wow. So Jimmy, this is huge for our listeners. If you're listening, I mean, Right there, you just got some ideas, right? I mean, if you've been thinking about this, um, that, that's no, that is actually like very enlightening for me, <laughs> just because you know, I have been thinking, I mean, and and we work maybe because we are so specialized and we, you know, we we work with huge health systems and health agencies and 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 a lot of vendors too, but but not necessarily telehealth vendors, so. It's good to kind of understand that, yes, no, there is so there is still a lot of opportunity out there in the telehealth space. And and who knows if you do well in that one little specific thing, maybe you will get bought out by Teladoc or one of the giants and 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 go home happy. Right. So <laughs> that's the other that's always uh, always. Uh, I actually want to uh, if I could circle circle back to something that Dr. Purdy mentioned that, um, you know, about quality, quality assurance. And now you just mentioned about you know, capitalism. And at the end of it, like healthcare is all about 
um, you know, servicing the patient and making sure that they get the care that they need. But at the same time, too, it is a business and the way it needs to operate that people do uh, and companies do need to make money so that they can continue to innovate uh, new ideas and have new concepts. But with the tip of the mind of quality assurance and it being, um, you know, still being a somewhat of a capitalist market, what do you think about the fact that this is maybe making um, the care portion more transactional, right? And kind of maybe perhaps losing a little bit of the, um, maybe losing a little bit of the patient care portion of it. And just kind of, if we make it so transactional uh, in the sense of like, okay, you know, this is my issue. I, I just need to get my asthma puffer or I just, uh, I need to get this, this refilled. How would this impact, I guess, you know, the general sense of, of, med, of uh, Medicare um, and, and care for patients in general? I'd love to kind of hear both your thoughts on that. Sure. <laughs> so you're talking about a couple of different things. The first thing that you're talking about is actually a law or it's a, a legal concept known as corporate practice of medicine, CPM. And it exists in the brick and mortar sector too. If you've ever seen a hospital or a major health system that employs a medical group to work for them, but they don't control the medical group, they don't own the medical group, is physician owned, and they come and serve the patients in the hospital or the clinic. That is, that is an attempt to navigate corporate practice of medicine laws, right? Which I'm not a lawyer, but to summarize how it works is that a corporation or a company cannot be exerting undue influence over how the practice of medicine is executed. So what you probably don't know, but I assure you this is true, is that inside of every large telemedicine company, and if they're doing it right, every small telemedicine company too, is a series of professional corporations that are not owned by the parent company. They are not staffed by the parent company. They are completely legally separate entities that are linked through management services agreement. So the, 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 parent, the parent company or the, the corporation is a management services organization, but they do not and they cannot they must not tell the doctor group how to practice medicine. So, and it has to be owned by a physician, has to be run by a physician. All of the administrative stuff like HR, taxes, finance, legal can all be delegated down to the, to the, the corporation, but the practice of medicine has to be done at the professional corporation, or we call it PC, the PC level. So has to be owned by a doctor, has to be run by a doctor, and only doctors can tell doctors what to do when it comes to the practice of medicine. So the right way to strike the balance between how does the business run its business and how do the doctors in the professional corporation that are servicing the patients that the company brings in practice good medicine, they're actually completely separate entities. I don't know, and I really don't care what the businesses are doing from a marketing perspective, from a um, website, from an SEO, from a social media influencer. I don't even really know or care what the company is charging the patients, because once the patient gets past that initial like front-facing website, they're getting a standardized, evidence-based like standard of care, 
high quality healthcare intake form that's designed by the doctors in the medical group. And then that's where we, as the medical group takes over. So they're really completely separate and one doesn't really influence the other, but if a business is very successful and they're bringing in tons and tons and tons of patients, that's where we have to leverage our technology. And that's where we have to make sure we're doing it efficiently without compromising the care. And G- Jimmy, that was a great question. And, and, you know, thank you, Laura, for explaining, like, I mean, it doesn't, at the end of the day, doctors have to follow certain rules. I mean, you know, they go through a very long education process, which we all know about and residency and all that. But the other question is, you know, if let's say, for example, I'm going to virtual skincare company for my skincare questions and, you know, virtual respiratory people for my inhaler or whatever, you know, all these different places. Now it's all being done virtually and it's out, you know, it's, it's in this virtual EHR, you know, whatever the company, wherever they are storing the data. And that's where I, you know, one of the things that would be interesting is, okay, now all that information is not in the central place. It's not just in the health system and in, in one EHR. And it's not even in the one clinic. I mean, you have these doctors who knows where, right? Throughout the country, maybe they could be even sitting on a beach in Australia. You know, if they have the licensing for certain states, it doesn't matter where they are because it's all virtual. So the integration part, like, I mean, in terms of now your data is in all these different places, I, I feel like there, that could be a challenge too, in terms of, okay, how do you get access to all that data in one place? Or do you, right? I mean, like, what, what are you seeing there? Do you mean with regard to like patient records or like history, like historical things? What is it specifically with regard to data? Right. So let's say you had certain things done related to your skin and, you know, the virtual visit, they, the doctor documented everything in this one system that's being, um, that's totally housed in, in California, for example, the other virtual app that you used for your respiratory issues, the data is housed in Michigan. And, you know, that could be something else for your orthopedics, whatever. So what I'm, you know, typically if you go in the same health system and you see the doctors from the same health system, you know, all the data is right there in that same EHR. But now when you are using all these different applications, all these virtual applications, is that like from a patient standpoint now, are those records all sitting in these different applications and I have to go in all these different applications to access all that data? And if I, you know, if I go to my family doctor now and it's like, oh, so I, you know, you went to these three different things. I want to access that stuff. How would you easily give that back to your primary doctor who is, you know, located in your, in your town? Great question. So for data privacy and HIPAA, um, purposes. If I'm, so all these companies like virtual health and digital health companies, they're, I'm, I think I'm going to use this term correctly, cloud-based, right? And so the data is housed in a secure location, wherever that is. There's certifications such as SOC2 and High Trust that can assure you that the patient um, data is secure and it's private. 
But if I'm working for one company and patients have the right to choose where they go, right? So if I'm working for MD Live, but a patient goes to Teladoc, I don't have access to Teladoc records to see what was done at the other facility. Now, every company will do a release of records, just like a hospital will, right? But it's not going to happen without the patient's consent. The patient has to ask for it and they have to consent to it before it's going to get sent out. But largely you're not going to have access to healthcare information that was done somewhere else, which again, it's not, it's, this is not a totally foreign concept. Like if I go on vacation tomorrow and I need to go to an urgent care, they're not going to have all of my, of my medical records and they probably won't have time to get them, nor would I want to send all my medical records to an urgent care in another state just for a quick um, encounter. But the PCP, you know, what's really interesting is a lot of patients actually come to telehealth because they are unsatisfied with their interactions with their PCP, or they maybe don't have a PCP. A lot of patients don't even have a PCP at all. And so I think the type of patient who is driven to a direct-to-consumer telehealth company isn't to the type of patient who is often going to ask us to send their records to a primary care manager. Okay. But the capability does exist if it's asked for. Right. Yeah. And you're right. You know, this is not a new concept, but I feel like there's always been the challenge with the with disparate systems, even within a hospital itself. I mean, it's going away quickly with the new fire standard. You know, that's where, you know, we are working with health systems just because it's the same situation. Now you have all these different developers coming in with apps, really useful apps, but you still want to access the main record from the EHR. Right now it's a lot of read, you know, you are able to read the data from the main EHR. I think in the near future, it's going to be also pushing the data back from these apps back to your primary legal health record in the health system or, you know, even in the clinic. But yeah, it's not there today. And that's why I was kind of curious too. It's it's coming, you know, right now, I, as I said, it's one way. It's a lot about you, you're able to suck the data out of the main health system. And hopefully in future, it will be easy too, because then then it's easy. You know, you, you pick your service, pick the app that you like, and that would be a central service, which where you can actually push your data back to it, right? Because it's your it's your data at the end of the day and you own it as a patient and you can request it like you said it's it's not easy (laughs) you have to like go through steps to get to it today but i hope that changes um no i was gonna say uh, um you know we're 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 coming to near the end of the end of the show here before we let you go um it's a tradition for us uh here on the show and vic please pay attention again (laughs) that the guest gets the last word on the show and one of the things I wanted to ask you, you know, we've already kind of covered what the future of um, you know, a future of telehealth may look like, but I would like to kind of maybe dive just a little bit deeper with this last question this week and ask, you know, what do you see as maybe the 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 current barrier uh, for telehealth to um, to take maybe get past to that next level, and how long do you think it will it will take for for that to resolve? That is such a great question, and actually, you know, Vic was just nailing it. He, he, he was actually just really nailing it with that notion of your, uh, an individual's medical 
information and medical data is currently in the possession of medical institutions? Why is it not in the possession of the individual? The bank isn't in possession of my banking information. I, I don't have to request that the bank give me my credit card number every time I need to know what my credit card number is, right? I have it. And I, and I really do think, and Vic, if you can be the inventor of the patient, um, you know, the patient is the owner of the health information, you'll be the next richest man in America because <laughs> <laughs> there's a race to this solution. And I, I think I can, I think I can uh, tactfully not violate any non-disclosure agreements by saying there is a race to this solution. Oh, no, I, I, I know. I, I also know of some companies that are, yes, yeah, definitely. You're right. That's right. And I mean, that is, that is the next thing is to empower patients with their own data. And really we're going to be doing telehealth in a much more responsible way. Can you imagine, just imagine if your medical record was like your Apple pay or your touchless pay, right? It's all in an app. It all belongs to you. You go to see a clinic or you go to see a telehealth doctor and you get a pop-up on your phone. Do you want to release your medical record to such and such? Yes, I approve. Boop. Now the doctor's got all of your information. What a world that would be. Um, well, and I do think that's the future. That is the future. And, and so, so partially, you know, Laura, I think it's there because, you know, as I was saying, reading the information out of one health system and, you know, you can have 50 apps now or, you know, there, there's hundreds of apps. But like, let's say you approve 50 apps for your health system, then it, you know, when you go in the app, you do say, you know, it comes up for you like, hey, Vic, do you approve, um, you know, virtual skin people to, to access your data? And, and, you know, as soon as you say yes, now they can read the data out of your, your health system or, you know, the health system that you go to. So I think it's there partially, but yeah, there's, there's still a long way to go. And I hope one of these companies figures it out. And hopefully, Jimmy, we can start on this pretty soon, too. Uh, <laughs> it's it's going to have to be all you then. I'll, I'll be on the sideline just producing the shows. Uh, Dr. Purdy, I want to you know thank you again and appreciate your time. If one of the listeners here uh, wants to partner with MD Integration or, and want to get in contact with you no more, how can they do so? And we'll make sure that everything that you say will be in our show notes for this episode. Of course. You can always find me on LinkedIn, Laura Purdy. I'm not hard to find. And mdintegration.com, mdintegrations.com is our website. And it's very easy to find. You can contact us. Um, you can even email me, which is lpurdy at mdintegrations.com. And we love to partner with entrepreneurs. Even if you have an idea, if you're not even to the, if you're pre-executional and we don't charge people to consult, we don't charge people to have conversations and to brainstorm and to plan those are the really fun conversations that we love to have. So just reach out. I love to talk to people. All right. Well, you heard it all there. Don't grab a pen and paper. We'll have all the information shown us. Just go ahead and click on it. Thank you so much for coming on to the show and uh, good luck with everything. And, and, and you know what this, I know Vic is like ready to burst out of the seams. I, you could tell he's got more questions. No, I, so. I, I'm kind of disappointed <laughs> that we're ending this. I'm serious but, because I, I feel like, you know, I wanted to go into AI and, and, you know, digital apps and transformation and what other stuff you know laura you're seeing out there but mr jimmy here has <laughs> has <laughs> no but we yeah we definitely need to have you back i'll come back there's there is so much to talk about there really is yes 
Thanks, All guys. Right. Great day. Thanks. Vic, we are back, and I know. I know I had to kind of reel you in just a little bit. I I hear you're very disappointed by it, but you know, I think this would be a great opportunity for us to bring Dr. Purdy back and perhaps, you know, touch on things like AI. Well, and Jimmy, you know, th- that's the whole that that was our whole purpose, right? Of bringing in guests outside of our traditional guests, right? From the health systems and from the clinics which he, which we have been which is which is the core. We still want to do this, but I think it also makes sense for people to hear from innovative companies in terms of what's going on. And today, I mean, that was a great conversation about telehealth and, you know, how they are making it easy for, for new entrants to come into the telehealth world. I mean, you know, very enlightening episode, even though, you know, I, I'm in healthcare day in and day out, but I actually found it very, very informational. And I'm sure our listeners We'll really enjoy this one. Mm-hmm. If I, if I could say, you you were you were you were nerding out a little <laughs> bit there. You know, it's like <laughs> once one you know once once I hear the word fire, boom, I'm just like, okay, he's Vic's. That's, I'm that's connected. Revin Vic's engine up here. <laughs> he's turned on the ignition. Here. Well, you had to fire like, made, you know, more than one. Yeah, instance. you had to actually hold me back because you know I was just so excited and and I had Jimmy. I'm not kidding you. I had like you know, 20 of the questions in my mind as she was talking. And, and that's what we want. I mean, that's, you know, that's exactly that. That's when, you know, it's fun, not just for us, but hopefully even our, our listeners will enjoy it. All right, Vic. So this ends this episode of This Week in Health Tech. I know another, another good episode with you, an amazing episode with Dr. Purdy. I want to thank her again for coming on to the show. Make sure to all the listeners out there, if you enjoyed today's episode, hit us up with a little bit of a rating here. Subscribe to the show that so that you never miss an episode. Make sure you hit us up on Twitter at TWIHT1. That's TWIT1 at Twitter. And uh, we'll, we'll connect with you. No or or Tito Inc. on Twitter. Jimmy, it, 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 that was so fitting. Hey, having um, Dr. Laura Purdy on the show. She is a 15-year veteran of the Army. So thanks again. Very fitting. And I really hope everyone enjoys the show mm-hmm. all right vic so can i enjoy my weekend please now? please sir right with <laughs> go out there and and you know do whatever you do <laughs> i was gonna go into the specifics but then i was like no no people don't need to know what jimmy does oh they don't need to know it's it's too much it'll, it'll rattle the brain <laughs> All right, bud. Well, you have a good one, and I can't wait to connect again. We have more and more amazing guests lined up. So, again, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Vic, I wish you adieu, and I'll see you next time. Happy weekend, everyone. Good night.